0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. Glory, Glory to, to you, Lord. O Lord. John said to the crowds that came out to him to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance, do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, "'Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages.'" As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, "'I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire.'" His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people, but Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace, peace, hope, and joy be to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Preaching 101 tells you this. Make sure the people leave with the good news ringing in their ears and joyfully singing in their hearts. Just make sure That when people hear you preach, they leave knowing what the good news is. As Dr. Ralph Klein used to say, the good news for our bad situation. I love that definition of gospel. The good news for our bad situation. Last week, we heard John give a sermon borrowed quite heavily from Isaiah. And it ended with the words, all the nations shall see the salvation of God. Perfect, right? Just perfect. Ending with the good news so people know that they are loved as they leave. The problem is this. John decides to go off script today. We pick up right where we left off, and he gives a master's course in what not to do when preaching. He starts with these lovely words. You brood of vipers, who told you to be here? Well, the answer is he did, but that's neither here nor there, right? And it goes downhill from there. The whole image of the axe at the base of the tree, you're going to get cut down unless you change. And even later, he gets to baptism. How could you mess that one up as a preacher? Well, sprinkle in a little bit of apocalyptic language, right? Unquenchable fire and threshing floors, and, well, he screwed that up too, right? John today just is drenched in this really difficult-to-hear sort of news. And the best part, my favorite part of this text, though, is after he goes through... All of these things. He starts with the brood of vipers and works all the way down, and he ends with this line. So with many exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. Yo, okay. As an audience member, I don't know if that's what you just did, but as a preacher, I'm very much interested in taking your course, because I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could yell at people and call them brood of vipers, but as long as I say the words good news at the end, it's all good, right? So I will be signing up for that continuing ed opportunity this year. But I think, I think, as I sort of walked through this gospel, right, as I made my way through it, I started to understand that the issue here is this, that we have to remember good news isn't always easy news, And if we walk through this gospel, I think you'll begin to understand what I'm saying. But before we do this, let's replay some history that I'd rather leave behind, high school, right? During high school, I was called many things, but in particular, I was known as Little Wagner. Little Wagner was my name by anybody at Lincoln Park High School because my two older brothers had graduated the two years before I'd started. In other words, my name preceded me there. For my one brother, that was wonderful my other brother, who shall rename nameless, but his name rhymes with Christian, uh, is Christian, sorry, um, wasn't so good. Let's put it that way, right? And so I'd walk into the room and they'd see the name Wagner and I'd get the look. And then I'd have to do this thing, right? Where I'd start to play through my head is which look is that? Am I going to have to disassociate myself or am I going to lean full into this because I'm going to get something good out of it, right? And I think from time to time, we all kind of do that, right? If we have an opportunity and advantage, we're going to lean into it, right? That's how, in many ways, the world works, for better or worse. Today, the Israelites are doing the same thing. They point back to Abraham, and they said, Look, we're descendants of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. We have a name. And therefore, we don't have to worry so much about the wrath of God, and, yeah, we're not terribly interested in that whole repentance thing, right? Because, look, we're children of Abraham. We've got this. To which John very quickly shakes his head and says, yeah, no, not how things work. And then John goes on to explain to them, look, it's great that you're part of that family tree. It's wonderful that you claim Abraham as your ancestor. But as a branch of that tree, if you don't bear fruit, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Unless you bear fruit as children of Abraham, the name is as meaningless as this rock sitting right here. You need to worry about bringing something to life, about bearing fruit in this world. Now, as Christians, as Christians, when we baptize, what we're really doing is we're being grafted into this lineage. We're being grafted into the the tree of Abraham and Sarah and all the people of faith, all the way back to Mr. and Mrs. Noah. And, And we find our place on that tree. But when we baptize, it's not just getting our name off the naughty list onto the nice list, which this time of year is kind of a big deal, right? It's not about getting your name scribbled in the back of a family Bible that nobody has opened in generations, right? And it's not about getting your passport to heaven stamped. When we are baptized, as John reminds us today, we are baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit, something burning in us, a spirit that is centered in maybe hope and peace and joy and love, possibly, but a spirit that calls us into action to bear the very fruit that John alludes to today. And this is our job. And even the liturgy itself says this. When I baptize an individual, I get to this wonderful phrase where after I give the litany of things that we're going to offer, there's a so that, so that you may learn to trust God to proclaim Christ in word and deed, to care for the world and creation that God made, and work for justice and peace. When we are grafted into that family of Abraham and Sarah, it is not the end of our work, but the beginning of a lifelong journey led by the Spirit. And what that work looks like for each of us may vary upon who we are, the gifts of the Spirit that we've been given, and the work that we're called into. What it looks like for me to bear fruit may not be what it looks like for you. Why? Because justice and peace are not one-size-fits-all solutions. If it was that easy, we would have figured it out by now. But it's not. This work of justice and peace is complex, it's messy, and it depends on each and every individual, and we live in a world filled with individuals, each with their own understanding of what those things are, which is why I appreciate our text once more, because John makes it really clear. He looks at the people in front of them, right? And group by group, he answers that question, what should we do? What should we do? For example, he starts with the two-coat crowd. He says, look, if you've got two coats, give one up. If you got some extra food, please share it. Now notice, he doesn't say give up all that you have. He doesn't say throw it all away. He says give out of your abundance. And truthfully speaking, that's what many of us are doing this year. We're giving out of abundance. This Christmas season, you don't have to be religious to see people doing it. We're all doing the best we can to give what we can to those that we love, to help those in need around us. We're already doing this work. These are the good fruits. He goes to the tax collectors, and he says to them, just take what they owe you. Don't take anything extra. Don't lie to people. I don't think that's too much to ask, as we deal with others to do so honestly, to care for them as we would want to be cared for ourselves. But in particular, these tax collectors need to hear this because some of them aren't doing it. He goes to the soldiers, and he looks at them, and he says, stop, stop abusing your power. Don't extort or threaten people anymore. And, moreover, be satisfied with your wages, right? And that last one really stands out to me right now, the idea of being satisfied with your wages because, I can't stress this enough, In order to be satisfied with your wages, your wages probably need to be satisfactory to begin with. That's how you can be satisfied with your wages. And I say that because we as as a society, but particularly as a country, are reckoning this right now. That we have jobs in this world that can't even support individuals, let alone families, and yet we expect people to do these jobs merrily and happily. It doesn't make sense. This is a bigger and deeper-rooted societal problem that we're addressing. Be satisfied with your wages so that you don't have to take from other people, so that you don't have to abuse your power along the way. In other words, there's an issue with the system here. Each of these individual pieces points that out. There's an issue because people are cold and are hungry. It's an issue because people are being taken advantage of and are being abused. It points to the need for larger change, or, to borrow a word from John, repentance, turning one's life around and back to the ways of God. But change is hard, especially when those who benefit from the system as it stands have no interest in it. Herod doesn't want things to change. Why? Because the system is set up for Herod. Right? So what does Herod do when this voice comes crying out of the wilderness? Throws him in jail, right? Why? Because he doesn't want the good news to get out. Because he knows that if people hear this message, this good news, it's going to mean his life is going to change, and he's not willing to change either. But here's the funny thing I've learned about the good news. It can never be shut up borrow a phrase from the great classic film, Jurassic Park, life always finds a way. Or perhaps better put, the good news always finds a way, right? You shut it up in prison, it finds its way into Jesus. You hang it on a cross, it finds its way as the Spirit, and yet lives through me and you and through all of us. Try as we may throughout the entirety of human history, the good news can never, ever, be locked up. It has this way. It will always find a home. And I think today what John is saying is it needs to find a home in us. And how do we know that? Because of the way that we treat each other. By the way that we gather as a community and care for one another as a world working for justice and peace for all. Because this is the truth. Good news is incarnational. Good news is in. Body in you, in me, in us, and all that we do each and every day, not just for an hour on a Sunday, but on a Monday morning as well. It is embodied by us. And I think that's really appropriate in this season of incarnation, a season where we are lighting candles patiently, one at a time, waiting for God incarnate to come down and be with us. For Emmanuel, God with us. A God who comes with the fruits of the Spirit. Fruits like hope, peace, joy, and love. And I know, I know what John offers today doesn't sound like good news. I've thought about yelling at you and calling you broods of vipers, and I decided against it. But I hope you can hear the forcefulness of the message nonetheless. That the good news is ours. It's in us. It's who we were made to be when we were made in God's image, and it's who God is going to be when God comes to us once more in a few weeks. So with that, I hope you can take that good news out into the world because it would do us no good if we shut it up within this room and this room alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.